Exodus chapter 13, verse 17. When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them on the road through the Philistine country, though that was shorter. For God said, if they face war, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. So God led the people around by the desert road toward the Red Sea. The Israelites went up out of Egypt armed for battle. The Lord took the bones of Joseph with him because Joseph had made the sons of Israel swear an oath. He had said, God will surely come to your aid, and then you must carry my bones up with you from this place. After leaving Succoth, they camped at Etham on the edge of the desert. By day, the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, so that they could travel by day or night. Neither the pillar of cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by night left its place in front of the people. Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell the Israelites to turn back and encamp near Pi Hahiroth, between Migdal and the sea. They are to encamp by the sea, directly opposite Baal Zephon. Pharaoh will think the Israelites are wandering around the land in confusion, hemmed in by the desert. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them. But I will gain glory for myself through Pharaoh and all his army, and the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. So the Israelites did this. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, Pharaoh and his officials changed their minds about them and said, What have we done? We've let the Israelites go and have lost their services. So he had his chariot made ready and took his army with him. He took 600 of the best chariots, along with all the other chariots of Egypt, with officers all over them. The Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, so that he pursued the Israelites who were marching out boldly. The Egyptians, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots, horsemen and troops, pursued the Israelites and overtook them as they camped at by the sea near Pi Hahiroth, opposite Baal Zephon. As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up, and there were the Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified and cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, Was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us out to the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone, let us serve the Egyptians? It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. Moses answered the people, do not be afraid, stand firm, and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. Then the Lord said to Moses, Why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on. Raise your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea to divide the water so that the Israelites can go through the the sea on dry ground. I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they will go in after them, and I will gain glory through Pharaoh and all his army, through the chariots and his horsemen. The Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I gain glory through Pharaoh, his chariots, and his horsemen. 
Then the angel of God, who had been traveling in front of Israel's army, withdrew and went behind them. The pillar of cloud also moved from in front and stood behind them, becoming, coming between the armies of Egypt and Israel. Throughout the night, the cloud brought darkness to one side and light to the other side, so neither went near the other all night long. This is God's word. Let's pray together. Lord God, we thank you that you lead your people. You lead us so that you would get the glory. Help us give you glory this morning. Give us eyes to see the salvation of the Lord. May we be a people that's not fearful as you lead us. Lord, give us the ability to turn this fear into confidence. And Lord, help us trust your direction. Lord, I pray this morning that you would be with Dave as he's going to bring your word. Lord, I pray that he would speak boldly and clearly and passionately about the truth of how you lead us and how you care for us. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Keep your Bibles open to Exodus chapter 13. If you spend some time driving with me, you'll learn something very quickly. That the good Lord has not blessed me with an even average sense of direction. Knowing this, one of the first gifts that someone bought me was a GPS when I moved uh, from Boston to the South Shore. They had seen me miss enough right turns, take enough wrong turns, and arrive at wrong destinations to know that I needed guidance. I loved that GPS. I still love a good GPS. Sometimes I put it on even if I know where I'm going just for the security. (laughs) You know why I love a GPS? Because it always takes me from point A to point B in the shortest and most efficient way possible. I've often wondered why God doesn't work more like my GPS. How come my GPS can take me the shortest and most efficient way possible, but God seems to lead me in roundabout ways, into dangerous parts of town, down confusing detours, and over big speed bumps? How come it always seems like God likes the scenic route in the long way? How come God always doesn't seem like he knows where he is going? Maybe God needs a new GPS for my life. I'm sure the Israelites were asking questions like these. God had led them out of Egypt and was taking them to the promised land, but from their very first steps, he was doing it in a very strange way. I'm sure they were very confused, but God's GPS was not broken. God was leading his people to the right place at the right time to show them something that they needed to see, his glory. And his confused people will soon learn that God sees the whole road ahead. His confused people will soon learn that God reveals himself most clearly in the desert, where life is hard and things don't always make sense. His confused people will soon see that God is not merely interested in taking his people from point A to point B in the shortest and most efficient way, but he's interested in changing his people along the way so that when they arrive at their destination, they are different people after beholding his glory. 
Let's dig into God's word. Exodus chapter 13. Verse 17. The first thing I want to point out in this passage is that God is everywhere. He's active. He's present. Look at verse 17. When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them on the road through the Philistine country. For God said, verse 18, so God led the people around by the desert. So God is out in front leading his people. Look what else God is doing. Look at 19. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him because Joseph had made the sons of Israel swear an oath. He said, God will surely come to your aid, and then you must carry my bones up with you from this place. So God is fulfilling a promise made to Joseph way back in Genesis 50. He didn't want to be buried in Egypt, but he wanted to be taken with his people to the promised land. God's leading his people. God's guiding. God's fulfilling promises. Look what else he's doing. He's making himself seen. Verse 21, by day the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light so that they could travel by day or by night. Notice that it doesn't say God sent a cloud. Look at verse 21. It says, by day the Lord went ahead of them. So this is God. He is with them. The Lord is present with his people, out in front of his people, leading them on the way that he knows is best. And he makes sure that he can be seen at all times, during the day and at night. Didn't give him a map, no travel plans. Didn't even give him a vague sense of where they were going. But he did give them something better, him. He gave them his presence because he was with them. They only needed to know the next step. He doesn't give us answers. He doesn't tell us where we're going. He doesn't always tell us what's around the corner. But he does promise to be with us, so we just need to know where to put our foot next. So God is out in front of his people. He's active. He's present in these verses. God is in control. God is leading. But did you notice something that's strange about this road? Something a little odd about what God is doing. He's taking them the long way. Look at verse 17 again. God did not lead them on the road through the Philistine country, though that was shorter. Remember, God had promised to take his people out of Egypt into the land of Canaan. And, you know, you can, here's Egypt, here's Canaan, and the, the, the most direct way to go and the easiest way to go, the shortest way to go, would be to follow the Mediterranean coast northeast into Canaan. Well, what did God do? He led them here southeast towards the Red Sea, the opposite direction. And not only did he lead them southeast, he led them into dangerous territory. Look at verse 18. He led them by the desert toward the Red Sea. You don't have to be a military strategist to know that if a a larger army is trying to recapture you, the desert and the sea are not the places you want to go. So the Lord's doing odd things. You know, but why? Why? Why is God doing this? Is his GPS broken? Is God confused? Did they follow the wrong cloud? What is going on? No, no, God gives, God gives the reason in verse 17. For God said, if they face war, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. God knew that they were unprepared for battle, and if they went the way that, that seemed best to them, they'd find themselves accidentally invading the Philistines. And right now, this band of Israelites only knows how to do one thing. Make bricks. 
That's all they've been doing for 400 years. And the Lord knows that they're not ready for battle. He's protecting them. He's leading them away from danger. Now, I know that everyone in this room is always perfectly comfortable with the road that God leads them down. I'm sure that none of you have complained and grumbled about the path that God has taken you. If you're anything like me, you always think you know the right way and you need to fill God in on the details. Right? God, why are you taking me this way? Don't you know if we go this way that this will happen? Lord, why is it taking so long? How come you're going actually like 20 miles less than the speed limit? What are you doing? We might even be tempted to think, God is withholding something good from me by taking this way. But have you ever paused and thought God's, that maybe God's seemingly strange way of leading us are actually expressions of his fatherly love and care? Maybe, just maybe, we can give God the benefit of the doubt and think for a second, maybe he knows what he's doing. Maybe his way is best. Maybe he's preventing something from coming into my life that he has not prepared me to face. We say, this way towards Canaan. And God says, no, actually this way towards the Red Sea. Because if you go that way, you're going to end up in a ditch that you didn't even know was there. So how about you just trust me because I see the whole road ahead. We have no idea the hundreds of experiences that God has spared us from by taking us the long way. Maybe you can't handle that job you want. Maybe the pressure would crush you and the time that, would, that you would be pulled away from your family would, would ruin them. Maybe the money would make you selfish and greedy or the title would only stoke your pride. Maybe that relationship you want so badly would actually end up hurting you forever. Maybe the comfort and security that we all crave would actually just replace our more fundamental need for God. Teenagers, Maybe that popularity you will soon crave so badly in a few days. Maybe it would ruin your life. Man, I thank God that he made me a dork in high school. I am so thankful for that. He spared me because he cared about me. If we only saw the big picture the way God did, we would spend so much time thanking him for unanswered prayers and for leading us in different directions. So what have we learned? We've learned that sometimes the Lord leads us in roundabout ways in order to protect us from what he hasn't prepared us to face. God in his wisdom and his care is leading the Israelites in a roundabout way in order to protect them. But as we'll see in a second, he led them away from one trial in the north to a different trial in the south. He led them away from the Philistine army but right into conflict with the Egyptian army. Like, what? But God has something important to show his people in the South. God has reality-shaping, precious truth that his people need to see there. He wants his people simply to be still and silent in his presence and watch him do something for them, to watch him work for them. Point one, the Lord leads us in roundabout ways in order to protect us from what he hasn't prepared us to face. Here's chapter 14. Point two, the Lord leads us between the rock and the hard place to reveal his glory. I'm going to switch the Bibles out here. That one's not cooperating. Let's look at chapter 14. 
God's seemingly strange guidance of his people is not over. He does something even stranger than leading his people in a roundabout way. He actually leads them right back into Egyptian territory. Look at 14 verse 1. Then the Lord said to Moses, "Turn or tell the Israelites to turn back, to turn back and encamp near Pihaharioth between Migdal and the sea. They are to encamp by the sea, directly opposite of Baal, Zephon. What is God doing? For 13 chapters, he's been telling us how he's going to take his people out of Egypt and lead them to the promised land. And, and as soon as they get out, he leads them right back in. Why? Well, God is laying a trap for Pharaoh. Look at verse 3. Pharaoh will think the Israelites are wandering around in the land in confusion, hemmed in by the desert. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them, and I will gain glory for myself through Pharaoh and all his armies, and the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. When Pharaoh sees that the Israelites have returned, he will think that they are lost and confused in the desert and easy targets for recapture. But in reality, God is laying a trap for him. God has one final display of his glory to show Pharaoh in Egypt. The plagues were just like the regular fireworks in the fireworks show. But God still has the grand finale of his glory for Egypt and Israel to see. So for one final time, he will harden Pharaoh's heart. And with Pharaoh's final breath, he will know that Yahweh is Lord. We've talked a lot about Pharaoh and the Lord hardening his heart. Uh, Hardening his heart means that God establishes his heart in its rebellion. Think of Pharaoh as running down a road of rebellion and the Lord just putting guardrails on it so he can't go left or right. Think of uh, Pharaoh's heart as a clay lump of evil and rebellion and as God's work in his heart as the kiln that hardens it and keeps it in that shape. So God is setting a trap, and Pharaoh takes the bait. Look at verse 5. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, Pharaoh and his officials changed their minds about them and said, What have we done? We have let the Israelites go and have lost their services. So he had his chariot made ready and took his army with him. He took 600 of the best chariots along with all the other chariots of Egypt with officers over all of them. Look at the size of this army. 600 of the best chariots along with all the other chariots. Verse 9 talks about men on horses and and foot soldiers. Pharaoh has amassed one of the largest armies on earth to recapture God's people. And think of the contrast between the two groups. You know, in one corner, you have trained mighty warriors with horses and chariots led by a mighty king with a sword. What do you have in the other corner? A confused, weak tired band of former brick-making slaves led by an old guy with a staff. But there's one crucial difference that Pharaoh's hard heart would not let him see. That the Lord has chosen that this band of brick-making slaves are his and he will fight for them. The trap is set and Pharaoh is walking right into it. But God's people don't immediately see it this way. They don't interpret this as good, right? They're confused. They're scared. Look at verse 10. Look at their response. As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up. Notice the 
the emphasis on the eyes and seeing and looking in this chapter. They looked up, and there were the Egyptians marching after them, and they were terrified. The people look across the desert, and they see this massive horde coming after them. And you can picture, as you look out across the desert, the big sand cloud, the dust cloud that the chariots and the horses and the troops would have kicked up. They could have been seen for miles. They looked so big. And Israel feels so small. And they turn around to run. And what's there? The sea. And they're trapped. And they're pinned in. And they've lost sight of God. And then what do they do? Well, they react in much the same, we do, same way we do when, when we take our eyes off of God and all we see are our circumstances, right? The first thing they do is they get all kind of sarcastic and bitter. Look at verse 11. They said to Moses, look, notice the sarcasm. Was it because there are no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? You ever get like that? Things don't go your way? You get all sarcastic and bitter? Oh, so you gave that guy the job promotion. Looks like that office needed even more incompetence. You know, you get all sarcastic. What's happened? You've lost sight of God. Because you've lost sight of God, you've forgotten who holds your life in his hand. You've forgotten that everything's going to be okay. And you're growing sarcastic and bitter. Look what else happens. Not only do they get sarcastic and bitter when they take their eyes off God, but they get pessimistic and negative. Look at verse 12. Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone. Let us serve the Egyptians. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. They only see two options. Slavery in Egypt, death in the desert. I have two options, and they are both horrible. You ever get like that? Your marriage goes through a hard season, and you think, I only have two options. Live in this miserable marriage forever or divorce. I have two options and they're both horrible. What's happened? You've lost sight of God and because you've lost sight of God, you've lost your hope and you've forgotten that he can repair any marriage. Israelites look at their circumstances and they only see two horrible outcomes. All of a sudden, they've lost sight of the cloud that led them to that very place. They've forgotten that actually this was God's decision to lead them there. They've forgotten that they are God's precious people, that he cares about them and holds them in his hand. They've forgotten. They've taken their eyes off of God. But the Lord led them there for a reason. What was the reason? The reason was to show them his glory. Three times in this passage, God says he is doing this to reveal his glory to his people. So what's glory? Glory is one of those words we use a lot that uh, is kind of hard to define, actually. It it literally means um, heaviness. Glory is something significant. It's it's weightiness. It's kind of, uh, it's something external. It's something visible. It's kind of like the idea of beauty. Beauty, if someone asked you to define beauty, you probably wouldn't sit there and write a a tight definition. You You would show them a sunset or you would show them a child or you'd show them a painting. Glory is something visible, something external. But nevertheless, here is a a definition I think will be helpful for you. God's glory is his visible, external presentation of who he is. God's glory is his fame and his significance and his weightiness and his character going public. 
And when God's glory is seen, it is meant to be savored. It produces awe and worship. It captures our hearts and puts things in perspective. And we need to see it. And God, God's glory is one of the major themes of Exodus. And it's seen in, in primarily, two, primarily in two ways. In his mighty acts of judgment against his enemies and his relentless saving and redeeming love for his people. So God had led Israel between the rock and the hard place to reveal his glory, between the armies of Egypt and the sea. He did it because his people needed to see something that they had forgotten, see something they didn't know they needed to see. Our greatest need is not answers false sense of security, pain-free, risk-free life. Our greatest need is not to know what's around the corner. Our greatest need is to see God as clearly as possible and then to be transformed as he, by his glory as he reveals his character and his ways to us. And he will lead his beloved people in roundabout ways, over big potholes, down confusing detours, because that's where he has our attention. Brothers and sisters, if we only look to God when we know where he's taking us, we will never look to him at all. Sometimes not having an answer is a blessing because it forces us to look to him. One of the great ironies of the Christian life is that the road that looks so hazy and unclear and even dangerous is actually the road to seeing things clearly. Why? Because what happens between the rock and the hard place? God has our attention. All those things that compete for our attention, you know, the news, the sports, the stock market, the laundry, the gossip and the drama at work, dropping the children off from one activity to the next activity to the next activity to the next activity, all that fades away. And God gives us a little time out between just you and him. He doesn't do it to punish you, but he does it because you need to see something you, don't, you didn't know you needed to see. Between the desert and the sea, we're brought to that humble place of knowing our need for God. That's not our favorite place to be. I'd rather be sandwiched between the ice cream shop and the beach. You know what happens there? Nothing. I remain blind there. I remain blind to who God is. I remain blind to myself, my real needs, my real trouble, my real problems. I remain blind to my circumstances there. God has to put me somewhere else so that I look to him. So if God has led you between the rock and the hard place, look up. Lift your chin off of your circumstances. Take your gaze off of the desert and the sea. And remember that God has brought you right there to show you something. This was Moses' perspective. The people, they just see two horrible outcomes. Moses sees a third way. He sees the way that's hard to see between the rock and the hard place. He sees God's work and God's hand and God's grace in the trial. Moses knows that, not, that all hope is not lost, even though it may seem that way, but he has confidence in his God. He lifts his chin from his circumstances and starts looking for God. And look what he says in verse 13. Highlight these verses. Some of the best in the, in the whole book. Moses answered the people, Do not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance or the salvation the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians that you see today, you will never see again. 
The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. Do not be afraid. Stand firm. And see, fearful saint, the Lord has not led you between the rock and the hard place to crush you. Allow me a second to lift your chin from your circumstances and to tell you something wonderful. Your heavenly Father loves you. I know it's hard to believe that in the middle of the trial, but he loves you. He does not lead his people between the rock and the hard place to crush them. And I'm not offering some some cheap or trite advice here. Trusting the Lord, trusting in his goodness when everything around us seems bad might be the hardest thing we have to do as Christians. But he's there. That's where he meets us. He doesn't leave you alone there. He shows us his glory to his suffering people. Oh, take your eyes off of your circumstances and plant them on Jesus. He leads his people between the rock and the hard place and says, do not be afraid. Because he knows that if we only knew what he had in store for us, we would have no reason to fear. Stand firm on that promise. Stand firm on the character of God. When the armies of Egypt are rushing towards you and the sea is at your back, If you only look to your circumstances, your knees will buckle and fear will overtake you. But if you just get a glimpse of him, your knees will steady and you will stand firm on his grace. The Lord led the Israelites intentionally between the rock and the hard place, called them to cast off their fears and fix their eyes on him. Now that I got your attention, my people, now that all eyes are on me, Let me show you something about me. All I want you to do is quietly be still and watch me work. You only have to be still. Some of you are in seasons of waiting, seasons of fear, seasons of unrest or transition. And since you're human, you're asking all kinds of questions. How do I fix this? What can I do? How can I get out of this? I've got bills to pay. Got that kid who doesn't obey. I got that spouse who doesn't realize how much they're hurting me. I want a spouse. I'm lonely. What do I do? How do I fix this? We get so, we get so, spend so much energy anxiously trying to fix our problems and get so fixated in our circumstances that we never have any room to consider God. So here's something you may not have tried. Silence. Be still. Turn down the volume in your head. Stop talking to yourself for a little bit. Put the the sarcasm and the pessimism, pessimism on hold. Take a break from the complaining. And right in the middle of the rock and the hard place, pause, look up, and say, God, what do you want me to see right now? Try that. And trust that he has good things to show you about himself and good things to trust you in this season of your life. Stand firm. Fear not. And see the salvation of the Lord. This is Christian leadership right here. You know what you need to be a Christian leader? You don't need to have all the answers. You don't need to know what's around the corner. You know what you need? One of the main things you need? Moses' perspective on trials. You need to look for hope in God. And then, 
with confidence and hope in your Lord and with tenderness and patience to help people who aren't seeing to see him. That's what you need, to help people who are blinded by their circumstances, to look to God. Elders, my brothers, thank you for your service to this church. So let me encourage you to be this voice of hope for the church. Play the Moses for the bride of Christ. Husbands and fathers, play the Moses in your family when everything doesn't seem to be going well. Brothers and sisters, be this voice for one another. This is one of the reasons why God gave us the church, because we're all at different places of sight. Some of us are seeing him clearly. Others of us are blinded by our circumstances. And those of us who see need help those of us who don't to see. One of my favorite things about being part of this church is I have so many grandmothers and grandfathers in the faith. Saints who have walked with the Lord down many long, hard roads. You know what they've learned? The, the Christian perspective on trials. They've learned to actively fight to fix their eyes on Jesus rather than passively feeling like victims of their circumstances. They've learned that trials does not mean that God has turned his back on us, but that he is turning our faces to him. And I know that when I'm not seeing, I can go to them and they will point me to Christ and help me see. Play the Moses for your brothers and sisters in Christ. We can do it with confidence because although we don't have a plan, God does. Look at verse 15. The Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on. Raise your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea to divide the water so that the Israelites can go through the sea on dry ground. I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they will go in after them. And I will gain glory through Pharaoh and all his armies, through his chariots and horsemen. The Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. When I gain glory through Pharaoh, his chariots, and his horsemen, the Lord is going to reveal his glory judgment for his enemies, salvation for his people. And what does he call his people to do? Fix their eyes upon him and move forward. Fix their eyes upon him and move forward. And what did they see when they did that? Look at verse 19. Try to picture this in your mind. Then the angel of the Lord, who had been traveling in front of Israel's army, withdrew and went behind them. And the pillar of cloud also moved in front and stood behind them coming between the armies of, the, of Egypt and Israel. Throughout the night, the cloud brought darkness to the one side and light to the other, so neither went near the other all night long. The Lord surrounded his people with his presence. Angel in the back, cloud in the front. And all of a sudden, living between the rock and the hard place became the safest place in the world to be. Because God was there. So let's look ahead for a second to the end of the story. What did the Lord's people learn? What did God do in their hearts at the end of this seemingly strange road? Look to the last verse of this chapter, 14, verse 31. Again, notice the emphasis on sight. And when the Israelites 
saw. The great power of the Lord displayed against the Egyptians. The people feared the Lord and put their trust in him and in Moses, his servant. No longer are they fearing their circumstances, but fearing their Lord. No longer is their hope dictated by their circumstances, but it's fixed on God, the unchangeable rock of their salvation. And they learned an important lesson that day. The way to grow when you're living between the rock and the hard place is to fix your eyes on your Lord. The author of Hebrews says something remarkably similar to his Christian audience, his Christian reader. Turn with me to Hebrews. We'll close with these verses. Hebrews is toward the end of your Bible. You hit 1 Peter, you've gone too far. Turn to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. When I saw the connection between Exodus 14 and Hebrews 12, my jaw nearly hit the ground. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. Since we are surrounded, like the Israelites are, we're surrounded by the angel of the Lord in the cloud. Since we are surrounded, right? What was Israel surrounded by? Angel and a cloud. What are we surrounded by? Such a great cloud. Except it's not a literal cloud. What is it? It's a cloud of witnesses. If you were to read chapter 11, you would see example after example after example of God's faithfulness to his people. A whole list of witnesses of people who through the eye of faith humbly walked down the seemingly strange road that the Lord had led them down. And how do we as Christians walk this path by faith? What do we do? Verse 2, let us fix our eyes on Jesus the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Like Moses called the Israelites to see their salvation, we're called to see our salvation, and that's Jesus Christ. He walked down a seemingly strange road at the end of which was a cross, And he walked down that road alone so that you and I would not have to. And there he bled and died for you. Oh, stand firm, fear not, and see the salvation of the Lord. It's in the shape of a cross. What more do we need to see in order to trust the Lord on the road that he has us on? What more do we need to see to know of God's commitment to us? So, my brothers and sisters, walking on roundabout ways, living between the rock and the hard place. Lift your chin from your circumstances. Plant them firmly on your Savior. savior. Entrust that he is up to something good and move forward, come what may. Because your Savior sits at the right hand of his Father, guiding his people, leading his church, and showing us his glory. Let's make sure that we're looking. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I pray that you would help to steady knees this morning. Help people to stand firm. Renew trust and hope in the Lord. Oh, Father, make the gospel so real to your suffering people. And Lord, this week, help them to move forward. 
even if nothing around them changes, fixing their eyes upon you. Oh, fill them with hope, we pray. For your own glory's sake, show them your glory. Amen.